Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. because we're starting a brand new series today called The Blessed Life. We, we've been going through the book of Acts up until last week. We, we've paused that series. We got about halfway through the book of Acts and then paused it so we could do this series. We'll, we'll pick it up again at some point. But the series we're, we're starting this morning is based on the book called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. I've encouraged you to grab a copy of it and be reading it along with us as we go through as we go through this series over the next month, month and a half or, or so. This book has been around for a while. Maybe you've already read it. I would love for you to read it again. So listen, I, I, it's not often. I don't, we've never done a series based on a book. I don't think I've ever said, hey, would everyone please read this book together? But, but I'm asking you this time. So w- would you please just join with us and read this book? Because I believe God wants to speak to us as a church family from it. I've, I've asked connect group leaders, if you would lead your group through, through this book when you meet together. My group is meeting tonight. So we're, we're going to discuss the first two chapters of, of the book. And so I'd love for our connect group families to be doing that as well. And I'd also ask as we're going through this series that you make it a point to be here. Obviously, we always want you here. But while we're taking this special focus in this series, make it a point not, not to miss any of the services. You know, we quote basically every week from Psalm 92 that those who are planted in the house of God, that they'll flourish. That's what God wants to see in your life. God wants you blessed. We want to have lives that people that are are thriving, families that are thriving, lives that are are flourishing, that you would carry the blessing of God in every area of of your life. That's what we we want to, to do. And so we need to learn from God's word how to see that become a reality. So in this series, we'll, we'll be talking about some things that people have questions about. We'll be discussing things that people have frustrations with. And so it's going to be a great series. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to be better off for it. Amen. Amen. Listen, would you pray with me one more time before we jump in this morning? Father, we love you so much. God, again, I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you for each person here. And God, I ask that you bless us and you bless us with eyes to see Bless us with ears to hear. Father, you bless us with a spirit of revelation and understanding so that we can know you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and teach us. Bless us with hearts that are like good soil, receptive. Receiving your word and allowing it to change us. That we would, we would be doers of the word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as we start this morning, I want to kind of lay a foundation for us to build on over the next, the next few weeks. And I want to talk about God's desire for you to be blessed. And as we, we read about how thorough God wants his blessing to be in your life, hopefully it causes some of, of the walls that you might have or any reluctance that you, you might have to kind of come down. And we can let our guard down so that we can obey what God wants us to do. When we trust that his motive isn't to get something from us, his motive isn't to, to turn us into religious people that have to jump through a bunch of hoops, God loves you and he wants to bless you. So let me just read a couple of passages. Just kind of take in how thorough the blessing of God is that he wants to be in your life. I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 28, a familiar passage of scripture. You don't have to turn there. You can just just listen. 
Starting in verse one, it says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Excuse me. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now I'm going to start reading through all of the blessings, but notice that the blessings aren't automatic. The blessings hinge on whether or not we walk in obedience to his instruction. So when, when people say, oh, I'm so, you know, God's word says he's going to bless me here or bless me there. I don't, I don't see those blessings. I'm not sure if I buy into it. Well, it's contingent on something. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. And so we've got to do our part. And again, as we focus on the blessings, just let your trust build in the Father's heart for you. Listen to these blessings. Verse three, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. That that, that about covers it, right? In the city or out of the city. That's pretty much everything. But he doesn't stop there. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and, you shall be, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give you rain for your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So from the first blessing he pronounces, he pretty much has every area of your life covered, right? You'll be blessed whether you're in the city or if you're out of the city, okay? But he just continues to turn over every angle of your life and say, blessed, blessed, blessed. When you come in, when you go out, your family, your herds, your crops, your bodies, everything you put your hand to. God wants his blessing to rest in every facet of your life. Let me read you one more passage of scripture from Psalm 128 says this, starting in verse one, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man, the man be blessed, who fears the Lord. Another passage of scripture just talking about the blessing of God. He wants your family blessed, your relationship with your spouse blessed, the atmosphere in your home blessed. When it's like when you have dinner around the table blessed, your relationship with your children blessed. He even says, when you eat the fruit of your your hand, the fruit of your labor, you'll, you'll be happy. Have you ever used some of the money that you've earned and you weren't happy about it? You were stressed about spending money on this bill or providing that. You can spend money, you can enjoy things and be happy about it instead of wringing your hands about it. God wants you blessed. How, how many believe genuinely that God wants what is best for you? 
that he wants what is absolutely, he wants what's best for you more than you want what's best for you. God wants you blessed. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says this, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You should remember this, he says. It, it's more blessed. You are better as you go through life to have your heart and your mind focused on being a giver instead of being a receiver, right? Jesus said one is better than the other. Now, you just said that you believe God wants what is best for you. And if you still believe that, then you believe God wants you to be a giver because being a giver, someone with a generous heart, that is better than someone that's just focused on acquiring and receiving. That one is better than the other. And often we make the mistake that when we think of being uh, blessed, when we think of being joyful, when we think of what is best in life, we think in terms of what I can acquire. You know, I'd be happy if I got that, if I get that raise, if I got that promotion, if I got that house, if I acquire that kind of car, if I drove that. It's just about receiving. But Jesus, who knows something about blessing, right? This isn't, this isn't counter to the blessing that we read before. This is how we step into the blessing, that, that we, we have a heart of generosity and giving. And that is how we're able to enjoy the blessing, the blessing of God in our life. It's not just acquiring things. It's being able to have a generous heart. You know, one of our values as a church is that we give. We give. That's, that's just not a church thing. That's not a center branch thing. That's a kingdom thing that we give. We, we need to be givers. We need to have a heart of generosity and not cling to things and be people who just want to acquire. We want to be a blessing to the people around us. And Jesus said that, that that's better. That is a better way to live. It's a better focus to have. And he wants what is best for you. So that means he wants you. He wants you to be a giver. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 6. The most beautifully named book of the Bible, chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 37. But if we read in context, Jesus is, is doing a lengthy teaching. He's started by giving the, the Beatitudes. Then he starts talking about loving, loving our enemies. We'll read verse 37 and 38. It says this, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So again, Jesus is teaching about several things. He teaches about love. He teaches about doing good. He teaches about ways to show that we, we belong to the Father. And then he gets to the teaching that we just read, and he says... Don't judge other people and you won't be judged. Don't condemn other people and you won't be condemned. It's like he is building to a, a culmination or to a climax in what he's teaching and he's, he's applying the principle a few different places before he unveils or kind of reveals the principle that he's building towards. And the principle he's building towards is this, give, give, and it will be given to you. And he's already applied it a couple of places that, that if you, if you don't judge people, 
what won't happen in your life? Okay, what happens if you do judge people? You can expect to be judged, right? Essentially, he's giving us the, the law of sowing and reaping. That we could reverse what he said before and, and see this principle. It's, this works for good or for bad. If I choose not to forgive people, if I don't give forgiveness, what won't I get? I won't get forgiveness. If I, if I don't give condemnation, I, I don't have to expect condemnation. He's giving us the law of sowing and reaping. Give and it will be given to you. But most of the time when we think giving... We just think money, that we just apply this to money. If I, if I pulled someone aside after service and I, I said, hey, are you, a, are you a giver? What would you think I was talking about? You think I was just talking about finances, right? If I said, hey, you know what? We're going to be doing a series in church and it's going to be about giving. You'd think, in fact, I had someone mention to me this morning. I, I knew this series was coming up and I thought, okay, here comes another money series, a giving, a giving series. And that, that's where we think that these laws apply. But Jesus is talking about giving in far broader terms than just finances. In fact, he, have, he hasn't even mentioned money. He's just talking about a kingdom principle that you can apply all kinds of different places. It's better to give than to receive. And if you give, it will be given to you. Pressed down, pressed down, shaken together and running over will men pour into your bosom with the same measure you use. It will be measured. That's the law of sowing and reaping. That you, you sow something and you get it back in a multiplied return, either good or bad, a law of sowing and reaping. The problem is in the natural, we, we work the opposite. We work the opposite. When you, see, when you see there's something you desire, but sense that you don't have as much of it as you want, typically we handle this the opposite way that Jesus is, is instructing. Giving, giving's not just financial. It, it affects every aspect of our life. Giving is everywhere. Giving's in your household. It's in your marriage. It's in your friendships, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents, our, our relationship with the Lord. You don't just give money. You give time. You give attention. You give devotion. We give, we give God our praise. We give him our worship. We give him our, our attention. We give, we give loyalty. We give effort. We, we give it all kinds of different, of different areas. So using the example of, of marriage, in a marriage, when someone feels unloved or unappreciated, how do people tend, just in the natural, your natural understanding, how do people typically respond in that situation? Not, not you, but other people, right? You've got this figured out. Typically, if someone feels unloved in their marriage, their response is, to withdraw. If they feel they're not appreciated, what, what do they do? If you don't appreciate me, I'm not going to appreciate you. And they take a step back, right? They, they withdraw. The very thing that they're longing for, they choose, that's what I'm going to, I'm not going to give any of that. And then what happens to the other person in the marriage? You, you can apply this wherever. I'm just using marriage as an example. This isn't just a money thing. This is a giving principle. That the other person, that person's withdrawn a little bit, and so they respond the same way. Now I feel unloved. Now I feel unappreciated. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to withdraw. And that chasm, that, that rift between them just continues to grow and grow and destroy, and destroy the relationship. That, that's, it doesn't work, right? You don't get the results that you're after by handling that way. And Jesus is giving us a principle that you give and it will be given to you in the same measure. So in that marriage analogy, when a person feels unloved and unappreciated, what should they do? 
They, they should start to show love. They should start to show appreciation so that they can get that, that back. The thing that they want, they shouldn't hoard it to themselves. They should begin to sow it because when you give, it will be given to you. Press down, running over, right? With the same measure that you give. That we've got to, to learn to apply that in every area. To, to lack something and say, you know, I'm, I'm, that's our natural tendency, right? Just to hoard it. It's like a farmer that wants... Uh, to receive a harvest, but he's only got one bag of seed left. So he says, I, I, I need way more than this. I'm just going to hold on to the seed that I have. It's foolish. If he wants more, what's he need to do? He, he needs to let go of it. He, need, he needs to sow it so that he can receive a harvest. That we've got, we've got to be generous. We've got to be givers. And it's not just with finances, but finances are money is a special area that we need to be intentional with our giving. So giving is far broader than money, but money is special because the way that we handle our money, it sets the mode or the tone for our heart, the way that you handle your money. So think of it like a, a radio dial, that you're kind of cruising the radio dial, turning it, the, you know, the dial back and forth, trying to find what kind of music you want to listen to. Do you want to listen to country music or classic rock? When you find what you want, you, you leave it there. The same way we, how you handle your money, it's like deciding how you want to set or tune your heart, the mode that you want to put your heart in. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So it, it's not just that the two are all, always together, just side by side. Where your heart is, your treasure is. Where your treasure is, your heart is. There's an order. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. That one follows the other. You know, people say, maybe you've said this too, tell people just follow your heart, let your heart be your guide, let your heart lead you, just follow your passions, just follow your heart. Well, what is your heart following? If you're going to follow your heart, what is your heart following? Jesus is giving us understanding how you can lead your heart, the way that you can guide and direct your, your heart. The way you handle your money is going to set the, the course or set the tone for the way that your heart is. So if you take your money and you just are, are selfish with your money, that, that's not just one isolated area because the way you handle your money handles your heart. So if someone uses their finances to be very selfish, it's all everything they do with their money, a roundabout way, it comes back to them. You know, they're gonna be selfish in their relationships as well. They're gonna be selfish in their marriage. They're gonna be selfish when it comes to, to being able to genuinely worship the Lord because they've used their money to set the tone of their heart. Your heart follows your finances. You know, I've used this example before, but it's, it's a good example. A few years ago, I bought my first stocks. One of the first stocks I bought was, was Dollar General, you know, like the, the little store that's everywhere. When I bought those, I bought three shares. I had three shares of Dollar General stock. But when I, when I bought those shares, I started pointing out Dollar Generals to my wife everywhere. When we'd go in them, I'd notice the, the cleanliness of them. I'd even try to strike up conversations with the workers. Like I was like a majority shareholder or something. Hey, you have any idea how the stock's doing? How, how we're doing as a company? You know, just appreciate the hard work that you do. Keep it up. You know, it means, it means a lot to us. As, you know, I, own, I own three shares. I'm talking like, you know, I, I own the place. Because my, my money went there, all of a sudden my heart went there as well. Where your treasure is, there your heart 
will also, will also be. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So we're told you've got to guard your heart, watch your heart, pay attention to what's going on in your heart. Why? Why should we guard our heart? Because it affects every area of life. It says, from your heart all, come all the issues of life. Out of, everything flows from, from your heart, that you've got to be intentional with what's going on in your heart. And so Jesus is giving us a principle. If your heart matters that much, one of the ways that you keep your heart is being careful how you keep your money and what you do with your finances. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And it affects, it affects everything. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a few different parables. He tells the parable of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep and he went after the one. And he tells about a woman who lost one coin, had 10, lost one, and, and, and searched the house. And he tells the story of the prodigal son. And so in those parables, obviously Jesus is talking about the father's heart and the father's desire for what's lost to become found. So that, that's ultimately what he's talking about. But there's still things we can learn, principles that we can pull out and apply it to other areas of our lives. And one of the principles we can pull out is when something valuable is missing. When something is missing, you, you can begin to search for it and search for it until you find it. Using that woman with the coins as an example. It says that she lit a candle or lit, lit a lantern and she swept the house and she searched until she, she found it. So when we look at the blessings, some of the ones that I read earlier, all these blessings that God wants to have in your life, he wants every area of your life blessed. When you examine your life and realize that some of these blessings aren't in place, God, your word says that you want my, you want my marriage blessed. You want to be a blessing when I sit around the table with my family. You want my business blessed. Everything I put my hand to blessed. But when I look, Father, I, I see that this isn't carrying the blessing. God, I'm missing some of the blessing in my life. You can either shrug your shoulders but when you and just kind of wonder why it's missing, or you can be like that woman. She didn't just say, well, I wonder why that coin is missing. She lit a light and drove out darkness and put on a search until she found it. That you can take light and drive out darkness and say, something is missing in my life that God wants me to have, and I'm not just going to be okay with that blessing missing. Your word says that I can carry blessing in my family, in my workplace, in my body, in the work of my hand. When I go out and when I come in, when I'm in the city, when I'm in the country, Lord, I've noticed this blessing is missing. And I'm going to light, I'm going to bring light into the situation and put on a search until what belongs to me is found. And so we can look into God's word and say, God, I want a blessed life. Help me to find the secrets. Help me to find what is missing. Help me to find what I need to know, what I need to do. When you read Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these other things. All these other blessings will be added unto you. That's something we can apply to our lives. If I'm missing blessing, then I need to make sure that God's kingdom comes first in my life. How do I make sure God's kingdom comes first in my life? If I want it to be genuine, if I want it to be real, his kingdom needs to come first in my heart, right? How do I make God's kingdom first in my heart? Well, I can direct it that his kingdom needs to come first in my finances, that I put it first in my finances. It affects my heart. It affects my life. And all these other things can be added unto me. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, it says, the purpose of the tithe is to keep God first in my life. 
how does the tithe keep God first in my life? Well, from that sequence that we just said, it would make sense if he said, the purpose of the tithe is to keep God first in your finances. But, but God knows how our heart works. So he was able to say the purpose of the tithe is to keep God first in your life. If you keep him first in your finances, you keep him first in your heart. When you keep him first in your heart, you keep him first with your life. So we want to be givers. We want to keep our, our hearts right. But our tendency, our tendency in the natural is to be, is to be selfish. So what can we do to make sure that our heart stays right and stays generous and stays giving? I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15, and we'll work our way through a few verses here. Starting in verse seven, it says, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever, whatever he needs. So he's starting to talk about giving, and as we work our way through these verses, pay attention to how often he brings up the condition of our heart. Now he's talking about giving, but it's related, it's related to the condition of our heart. He says, don't harden your heart and close your hand. So a hard heart is related to a closed hand that's just clinging, it's clinging to finances, clinging to resources. He says, instead, open your hand wide. I love that, I love that phrase, open your heart hand wide and willing, wide and willing, and lend him sufficient for his need. Verse nine says, but you shall surely, whoa, but you shall surely kill him. I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> Sermon just took a really weird, <laughs> you didn't see it going that way, did you? Okay, that was verse nine of 14. Here we go. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year. The year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it become sin, and it becomes sin among you. He says, beware, beware of wickedness in your heart. Beware of wickedness. We're still talking about the condition of your heart. Now, what is the wickedness he's saying that you need to beware of? He says the wickedness is this. He gives us an example, that you're going to lend him money, but then you realize Ah, it's the seventh year, the year of release, that they had a law that in the seventh year, all debts would be forgiven, that you'd, you'd release people. So if you decide, okay, I'm going to lend him money, but then you realize, wait a minute, next month or right around the corner, he's not going to have to pay me back. I'm going to have to forgive this debt. You realize I'm not, I'm not going to get my money back out of this deal. Then your heart is shifting from caring about him and his need. And who are you caring about? You're caring about, you're caring about you. So the wickedness in the heart is what? It's, it's selfishness. That selfishness keeps us from giving. Selfishness is what causes us to, to hoard and hold on to. And he calls it wickedness. Selfishness keeps us from giving, but giving destroys selfishness in our lives. And selfishness, you know, that is one of, if not the biggest problem that we deal with is selfishness. 
Almost any area of sin that you've struggled with, you can trace it back to your being selfish. Why do people steal? Why do people lie? Why do people pursue pleasure? Why do people sleep around? Why do people get drunk? Why do people get high? It, it comes back It comes back to self. Self is the, the root of the problem, that you become a false, a false god when the Bible warns against idolatry. Maybe you don't bow down to little golden statues or little metal trinkets, but you put yourself on the throne. You are a false god. The original sin in the garden, that the enemy was able to deceive Adam and Eve. How? By getting them concerned about, about themselves. God knows if you eat the fruit of this tree, you'll, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. They, they, they wanted to elevate themselves. That was the original sin. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, in the final times, all these terrible things are going to happen. Why? Because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. It, it's all through the Bible, and you can trace sin back to that root. It becomes self. So the, I, I believe he says this directly in the book, that giving more than any other activity, giving more than anything else, works selfishness out of our hearts. Giving more than anything else, and you need selfishness out of your heart, and giving helps work. Giving is for your benefit. You know, giving is for your benefit. Giving is a blessing to you. One of the blessings one of the blessings is it working selfishness out. When we think we're giving to bless God, we've got things turned around. Everything God wants us to do is for your benefit. It's to be a blessing to you. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need finances. He's well taken care of when it comes to financial resources. You know, the Bible says that the streets in heaven are paved with gold. So God's not after our money. Think about, think about that. The streets in heaven are paved with gold. We, we pave stuff with things that, it's, it's a revelation of how that stuff doesn't it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. God's not after it. He doesn't cherish gold. And so, he, he's paved streets with it. Can you imagine if I decided to get my wife a gift and I got her a, an asphalt ring? Or an, and I, hey, I, just, I picked you up a nice, it's our, it's our anniversary. She opens the necklace. What in the world? It's real asphalt. 24 karat asphalt. Nobody, nobody wants that. It's not something valuable. We, we pave streets with that. Well, that's the, that's the way heaven is. Not, not to show just how, how dazzled we should be with heaven. Gold and silver. God, God's not after gold and silver. So it's not, it's not a blessing to him. It's a blessing to us, even the fact that we get to resource the kingdom. It's a blessing to us that we get to participate in what God is building. It's like when a, a kid is helping you bake or, or build something and you, you find a job for them to do, not because you need them to crack the eggs. It's a blessing that they, they can participate in the process. A, a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife and three oldest daughters went on a, a volleyball tournament overnight someplace. So I was left home alone with our youngest daughter, and I was trying to think of, of something fun we could do. I wanted to, you know, spend, spend time together with her. And there's a, some pieces of scrap wood in the garage. So I thought, hey, we'll build a, we'll build a birdhouse. So we're, we're going we're gonna to build a little, a little birdhouse. You know, I'm not great with that kind of stuff. Our, the birdhouse we built, it's like the slums of the... the <laughs> Bird kingdom, just dejected, less fortunate birds come to our, our birdhouse. But, you know, I'm, I'm using a saw. I'm using power tools. Uh, I don't really need a seven-year-old girl to help me 
put this thing together. But it's no fun for her just to watch me build, build a birdhouse. So you know what I did? I came up with little things. Hey, you know what would help? Could you please just hold this? And I'll hold the drill. You know what? I'll hold it. If you could just pull the trigger, that, that'd be a huge help. It was a blessing to her to be able to participate. And now that, that's, that's, her, that's her birdhouse. She, she, built, she built that birdhouse. God, God, God doesn't have us participate in funding the kingdom out of a sense of need. It's out of his kindness and love for us that he allows us to, to play a role in building, in building the kingdom of giving is for our benefit for a number of reasons. But one is that it works selfishness. It works it out of our, our hearts. So even when we talk about giving, you know, as a church, we don't shy away from the law of sowing and reaping and the blessing of God being on our lives. But we do need to guard our intentions and our motives when it comes to giving. Because, you know, your motives matter, right? Even in giving, your motives matter. Have you ever had somebody give you something and you wondered, like, what are they up to? What do they want? What are they doing? You couldn't even enjoy what was given because you wondered, like, are there strings attached to this? Why are you being so nice to me? This is weird. Why, why'd you just say that compliment? What are you up to? You, motives matter in giving, and motives matter to God as well. Let me read a couple of verses. Proverbs 16.2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. James 4.3 says, And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you what will give you pleasure. So even in our giving, when we talk about the law of sowing and reaping, we don't want to give just so we can acquire because it's supposed to work selfishness out of our hearts. But the enemy would try to even manipulate giving to get us to, a, a way to work selfishness back into our hearts. So when we talk about sowing and reaping and the blessing of God, the focus isn't what I can acquire and how I can be greedy. When we talk about those things, it's talking about the faithfulness of God how you can trust God. He's going to take care of you, that you're not putting yourself in a bad situation. You have a loving father. The, the, the focus is how faithful he is. So even when we have testimonies about giving, and my family started tithing, and look at how God blessed us. You know, we sowed this seed, and look how God blessed. It isn't about the stuff. It's about the faithfulness of God. So even in our giving, our giving, it it's to work selfishness out, and the focus, when we get the return, is on his goodness, on his faithfulness, and how we can trust him. Verse 10 says, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and into all which you put your hand. So selfishness can keep us from giving, and if we fight through that and we do give, the enemy, the enemy will try to get us back in selfish mode. The enemy's persistent. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but the enemy can be very persistent. So even after you fight selfishness and you give, he'll try to get you to grieve the loss of whatever you gave. And when you grieve that loss, oh man, I gave that. I, don't, I sure missed that, whatever it is I gave. I sure missed that. You know what I could have done with that money? When you grieve it, you know what that is? That's selfishness again. You're, you're worried about you. He says, you shall surely give. And when you give, don't be grieved about it. Don't be sad about it. Don't mope about how you gave. Don't, well, I guess I'm out that money. Well, I guess I'm, I'm out whatever it is that God dealt with your heart to give. Don't be grieved about it. I don't know if you've ever given and then felt sadness in your heart. I remember one time when God was challenging me in an area of, of giving. And so I wanted to take a step of faith. And so we, we gave, basically eliminated all of our savings, my, my wife and I, so into another ministry. 
And we, we did that, and then maybe a month or two after, started looking at different things. I still had student loan debt at the time, and the thought occurred to me, if I hadn't given all that money, you know what I could have done? I could have eliminated my debt. And I started to grieve the loss, the loss of, of that money. And he's telling us, when you, when you give, make sure that you don't let your heart, even after the fact, get pulled back into selfishness. Why? Listen to what he says. Verse 10 again. You shall surely give to him, and your heart, again, talking about heart condition, should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you and all the work into which you put your hand. That you can trust that God is going to bless you. You can trust that he's going to take good care of you, that whatever you've given, he's going to reward you for it, and you can trust, you can trust his faithfulness. You know, Pastor Jonathan a couple of months ago in the Acts series, I think it was Acts chapter five he was speaking on, Ananias and Sapphira, he talked about how people get attached to their money and how grieving the loss of money is a, a, a signal that you've become an owner. It's a signal of ownership. So we've got to watch how attached we get to stuff. And when you're separated from it, when you grieve it, it's, it means that you, you consider yourself the owner, that that's yours, instead of the Lord's, that you're just being a steward of, of that money. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen? Do you believe that? Everything belongs to God? Yes? Then, then it frees us to give whatever it's his. It, belong, it belongs to him. And if we grieve it, it, it should be an indication, oh, I need to check my heart. I, I became, I was, an, I was an owner of that. You know, one time I was in a service with somebody and uh, they were going to receive an offering. This person wanted to give in the offering, but for whatever reason, they, they had to step out of the service for a minute. And so they, they gave me their check and said, hey, when the, when the buckets come around, would you put this in the offering for me? So I took that check. Do you know how hard it was to drop that check into the bucket? It, it wasn't hard at all. I didn't, I didn't look at it, but it could have been, you know, 10 bazillion dollars. I don't care. It's not my, it's not my money. It's somebody else's, right? I, I didn't own it. So it was easy for me to give it. When it's hard for me to give it, it means, man, I've, I've allowed there to be an attachment. I've become an owner of this and we've got to guard our hearts against that. Skip down to verse 13. It says, and when you send him, let me read a different translation. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. So it's continuing to teach on this year of release that if you had a servant that you'd hired or you, you'd bought a slave, that at the end of that seven-year period, you, you released him. And it says, when you release him, don't send him away empty-handed. Be, be generous. Starts listening, hey, bless him from your wine press, bless him from your threshing floor, bless him from the overflow of your harvest. Understand that everything you have is the bounty that God has blessed you with. So, so be, be a blessing. And then he says this in the next verse, verse 15 Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt of Egypt and the Lord redeemed you. That is why I'm giving, that is why I'm giving you this command. Why? Why is he giving them this command? He says, you used to be slaves, then something happened and you're no longer slaves, that you're free. And part of that freedom is you're free to give. 
selfishness, selfishness is slavery. Selfishness is bondage. And God wants to break that bondage in our lives. Giving is an expression of freedom. I'm not controlled by money. I'm not controlled by money. I'm free to give out of the bounty, out of the abundance that God has blessed me with. When I understand it's the Lord's, I'm free to give. You know, we want to be generous people, right? We know that being, being generous is better than being stingy. At your funeral someday, you don't want people to, to stand up and talk about you, your friends and family, or someone like me, get up and start to talk about the kind of man, the kind of woman you were. You, you don't want people to get up and say, man, he was one selfish SOB. That means son of a gun. I, sp I spell gun with a silent B. <laughs> you don't... You don't want people to talk about how greedy you were, how selfish you were, right? You, you don't want that. You want people to talk about, man, he was so giving. She was the kindest, most generous. She was always looking out for other people. That's, that's what you want people to say about you, but your natural instincts are to be selfish, right? We're just wired that way in the natural, in our sinful nature, even though I want to be, I want people to think I'm so generous. I want to be that kind of man. I desire to be that kind of woman. It's just that my heart naturally is so me-focused and so me selfish. I remember the first time we had a birthday party for one of our kids. It was when our, our oldest daughter, Autumn, she was either when she turned one or two. We're new parents. You know, we've got this idea we're gonna have this beautiful birthday party and it's just gonna be fun and laughter and pictures and memories. Well, I remember when she opened her presents, we invited other parents over. They had little one or two year old kids and had cupcakes and all that. And she opened her presents. And I've got toys, all these gifts sitting around. So all these other little kids are picking up toys. I can still see in my mind, Autumn charging over. This girl was holding a, a teddy bear or some stuffed animal and just body checks this girl and she goes flying. Kids, the kid's crying. The parents are trying to comfort. You know, these, these parents have just come over and blessed my kid and now my kid is like, you know, going around. There's kids crying all over. She's snatching, snatching toys and, and being mean to these kids. And so we, we didn't have to train her to do that, right? That just comes naturally from her mother's side of the family. That's just something, that's just something... It's just, it's just part of, it, co it comes naturally to all of us, right? The selfishness, the greed, it's just about me. That's natural in, in, all, in all of our lives. And he says to, to be a giver, why? Because you've been redeemed. You, you've been redeemed. Giving is an expression of freedom. It's an expression of the freedom that I have because of what God has done for me. And selfishness is returning to bondage. I choose to be put myself first. You know what I'm doing? I'm putting those chains back on. I'm resubmitting myself. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then we're warned not to return to a yoke of slavery. Selfishness takes us back to a yoke of slavery. So we don't want to have wicked hearts. We don't want to have grieved hearts. We don't want to have selfish hearts. We want generous hearts. Again, it's not, it's not just about money. Give, giving is everywhere. We want to be generous in every avenue of our lives. It's just that when it comes to money, money sets the course of our heart. If I want to keep my heart generous, one of the keys is to keep my heart grateful. If you want to keep your heart generous, keep your heart thankful. Keep your heart grateful. Let me read that verse one more time. Remember... Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. 
remember that you were once slaves. Anybody remember being a slave? You, you were once a slave. You were once under a, a yoke, a bondage of sin. And it looked different in, in different people's lives. Slavery for some people looked like being strung out on drugs and alcohol. Slavery for some people looked like uh, being addicted to pornography and sleeping around and addicted to lust. Slavery for some people looked like being addicted to success and materialism and being, being proud. It's all, it's all slavery. The enemy has some slaves that are more respectable than others, but they're, they're, all, they're all still slaves. They're out of control and they're on their way to hell. He says, remember that you used to be a slave. I'm telling you to be kind. I'm telling you to be generous. I'm telling you to be selfless because you used to be a slave and God redeemed you. And out of the gratefulness of our heart, out of a thankful heart, can learn to be generous. I can, I can be a giver. God, out of thanks for you. Let this be an expression. Let this be an expression. Father, thank you. God, I, I, I'm so thankful for what you did for me. I used to be a slave. You, know, you used to be a slave. I used to be a slave. But God has redeemed us and he set us free. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. This is, this is all temporary. This is all passing away. Verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, that you've been, you've been redeemed. And the way that you were redeemed was by the blood of Jesus. Not, sin, not gold or silver that lose their value. Even, even that standard of wealth, gold, it's, it's temporary. It's a temporary time, temporary value. But what doesn't lose its value, the precious blood of Jesus. And that's how we were redeemed. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.